Today, uh, we're going to move back into our study in Psalm 119. We're on uh, section number 6, which means we'll be looking at verses 41 through 48. What we're going to see today is five very important aspects of our spiritual life. We're going to find that these five aspects build one on top of another, that you start with the first, and the first builds its way to the second, to the third, to the fourth, to the fifth. And you're going to see how greatly important each of these are in our lives. You're going to find a very important, uh, I hope, connection to your own life. Maybe some things you'll see that uh, need work, some things that uh, just need additional prayer. And uh, then we can respond accordingly to what we find in that situation. Uh, first of all, we're going to look at... Um, I want, to, I want to show you something in verse 41 that will set the stage for everything else, okay? So if you've got your study notes, if you haven't, you can find those in the bulletin. If you'll take them out, grab a clipboard and a pen from the book rack, and uh, we'll be ready to go here. Verse 41, the first phrase, David says, Let your steadfast love come to me. Now understand that the basis of where we're going today is the love of God. Everything else builds off of God's love from here, okay? So David is praying. He's asking for God to allow his steadfast love to come to him. We're going to talk about that more in just a second. But here's the foundation. Foundation is the love of God, okay? So now what builds upon the love of God? Let's go ahead and jump in. Number one, the love of God unleashes your first fill-in, the promise. The love of God unleashes the promise. Now if you look at the verse in full, verse 41, Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. And you wonder, well, why is it necessary for the love of God to be involved in this situation? Well, there's a couple of reasons. But first of all, we see that the love of God is the foundation by which the promise is attained. The foundation by which the promise is released to us. You see, we have to understand that the love of God is, is what he says here is steadfast. In other words, it's unchanging, it's unwavering. How important that is in playing into this. Because if the love of God is something that fluctuates, if the love of God is something that changes with my attitude or my actions then I've got a real problem on my hands. Because I've come to understand that I am not a perfect person. In fact, I've come to understand that the times that I behave in an appropriate way are probably less than the times that I behave in an inappropriate way. Maybe not from the outside looking in. Maybe what you see is, is really clean cut and it's where it should be. But when I begin to analyze my thoughts and my actions and my attitudes and, and why I do the things that I do, what I come to realize is that uh, I've got a long way to go as a person to get to where God wants me to be. I've got a long way to go. And if God allows His love to be dictated by how my actions and my, my attitudes are to any certain thing, you know, I'm afraid that I would not experience the love of God very often. I would probably find myself in some very difficult places because God would withdraw His love from me. Because I'm not a perfect person. 
How important it is then that David saw that God's love is steadfast. That it's unchanging. It's unwavering. How vital it is to our existence that God's love is always the same. Which means that His love is perfect for us. The moment we come to salvation, we come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, or of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior based upon the finished work that He did on the cross of Calvary. God loves us the same at that moment as He will at the end of life's journey. There is nothing we can do to make God love us more And there is absolutely nothing we can do that will make God love us less. God's love for us is absolutely perfect. Now, that doesn't mean that life is always going to be smooth. Oh, God loves me. I'll never have any problems. No. No, it certainly doesn't mean that. What it means is that God loves us enough to allow sometimes difficulties into our life. To improve us, to strengthen us, to better us, to grow us, to equip us, to be able to help someone else in a similar situation down the road. He will allow us to go through difficulties and problems, even as we saw in week number three of our study, David face down in the dirt, ready to die because of his sinfulness. God will discipline us because he loves us. And allow difficulties into our life in order to bring us back to the center of His will. Why? Because that's absolutely the best place for us. And so God will allow different difficulties into our life to bring us to a place where He knows we need to be. And it's all incorporated in this steadfast love of God. But it's in this love then that we see springing from it the promise of God. You may recall from previous studies that God has promised mercy and life and He's promised salvation. Now, not salvation in the sense of, of, well, you you behave yourself and I'm going to grant you eternal life. No, that was given to us as a gift at the time we accepted Christ. It's eternal life granted at that point. It will not be taken from us. But in this particular means that he's talking eternal life, or, or excuse me, salvation means protection from those who would do harm. He, he promises to, to give us life. and We saw God do this for David when he was at his lowest point. God extended his kindness. God extended his life to David. David would recall... Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 13. He would remember what God had told the people of Israel. That for those who lived in obedience, He would extend His grace and mercy to them. But He would also recall how after that He told the people that if you don't do this, if you go after other gods, if you put them in my place, then you can understand that at that point you will also face my discipline. David would recall this, and David would pray, God, I need you to show your love to me. I need you to let me experience your promise once again. And why? Well, because David was still reeling from the difficulties of his previous experience. David was still reeling from the problems and the the, the distraction and the hurt that he suffered when he was on the ground, face down in the dirt, About to die. David was recalling that pain that he had endured. And as a result, David was a little bit insecure about the love of God. 
Humanly speaking, David was probably having some difficulties accepting that God would welcome him back. He was probably having some difficulties thinking that God could ever love him again because of what he had done. And David was saying, God, I need, I need the reassurance of your love. I need for you to lift me up, to give me life according to the promise that you've made in your word. I need you to do this for me. And why was it that that was so important for David? Well, it's point number two, in fact. Because in point number two, we see that the promise provides the answer. The promise provides the answer for David, number two. Verse 42, in fact, let's read 41 and 42 together. David says, let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. David is saying, God, when you fulfill your promise to me, when I experience your love again, when I, when I get to see it. In theory, David knew that God always loved him, that that love wouldn't change. But in experience, David was saying, I need to experience it again. I need to, I need to feel that love again. And when you extend that love to me, and when you give me this life, when you raise me up from where I am, this place of difficulty... When you raise me back to life again, then I'm going to have an answer for the person who is taunting me. I'm going to have an answer for the person who is mocking me. You see, a lot of people in that day and time were telling David, you're not living for God. You're not doing what God wants you to do. I mean, they were an enemy of David. And David was saying, God, if you'll just extend to me the promise, then I can point to that promise. And I can say, no, you got to understand that God does this for those who live in obedience. Those who live faithfully according to his word. And you can watch and see that God has raised me back. God has strengthened me. God has, has energized me once again with his love and his promise. You can see this taking place in my life. And you have to understand that that only comes through God's promise. And therefore, the answer to those who were taunting and mocking David was, no, you just watch and see God at work in my life, and you will have your answer. For David, the Word of God was something that was so important. In fact, for David, the Word of God was his hope, truly was his hope. I want to build on that a little bit, because in fact, the third point is just that. The answer directs us to, number three, your third fill in, the hope. The answer directs us to the hope. Look, if you will, verse 43. David is once again recalling where he has been. He is reeling from the problems and the suffering that he went through when he had sinned against God. And now he cries out to God in this prayer and he says, Take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. Take not the word of truth completely from my mouth. In other words, God, don't, don't take it all from me. I, I know what I deserve. I know that I don't deserve for you to continue to speak to me through your word. 
I understand that. I, I have lived as a fool. I have, I have indulged my lust. I have gone after the things of the world. And it has brought me to a very desperate place. And God, I don't deserve for you to, to speak to me as you do when I'm living with you and I'm walking with you in purity of heart. But God, please don't take it all away from me. Because it's my hope. It's where my hope is found. You see, David understood the steadfast love of God in theory. He knew that it was always there. And David understood that the love of God meant that God would discipline his children. David understood that if one of God's children would stray from him, that God would allow the difficulties into their life to bring them back to the center of his will because that was the best place. For his child. And David knew that even though God loved him so much, that when he strayed away, he would experience the discipline of God. He had already felt that discipline of God. You remember the story? We studied this in the third session how David had strayed from God and it brought him to a very bad place in his life. And so David, knowing that God loved him, knowing also that God would discipline his rebellion against him, David turned to the Word of God. David knew that contained in God's Word was his hope, because therein it taught him how to live in a way that pleased God. I love the analogy we used in the first week that David was a sojourner in the land. David wasn't someone who belonged to the world. He belonged to God. And therefore his home, his identity was not to be found in the world. This was simply a dropping off point for him, a stepping off point. It's a place where he would spend a few years before going to eternity. And David, in this time, he wanted to know all he could, and so he made the Word of God a priority. He wanted to know how to live to please God, not how to please the world. I can tell you, if you live to please God, most of the time you will not be living to please the world. And you will make some enemies. You will make people that will taunt and mock you. You will make a group of people who want to see your demise. David found comfort in the Word of God. Because David said, I know it's the Word of God that will bring me to rightness with you, that will direct my heart, that will direct my mind. And I know it's the Word of God that will prevent me from going back to that hopeless place again. You may remember something David said early on. He said, I have hidden your Word, or I have memorized your Word in my heart. So that I won't sin against you. David understood the significance and the value of God's word. That it was the foundation of his argument against the enemy for sin. It was the foundation of what he would stand on when the enemy would try to tempt him and draw him away. It was the foundation that he could hold to and cling to. In fact, it was the only hope he had in standing against the enemy. That's why he says at the end of verse 42, verse 43 rather, my hope is in your rules. My hope is in your, in your word. 
Now that may sound familiar to you because it actually was seen later on in the life of Jesus Christ. You remember that the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness. And the Spirit of God told Jesus, He said, For 40 days and 40 nights you're going to fast. It's a time of prayer. And even though physically He would be weakened to an extreme point, spiritually because of the fasting, because of the prayer and the, the intimacy He would have with God during that time, He would be strengthened spiritually. So at the end of the 40 days, Satan came to Jesus and he would take him to different places and he would tell him something or tell him to do something that would appeal to his flesh. For example, he took him into a high mountain. He showed him all the peoples of the world and he said, if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give those people to you. What was he saying? He was saying, I know why you're here. You've come to die on the cross for these people. But if you'll just bow down and worship me, they're mine to give. I will give them to you. You won't have to go through the torment of the cross. Wow. Humanly speaking, that would have been very appealing. Jesus knew what the cross entailed. He knew what was involved in the cross. And here it was, a means for him to escape. And yet Jesus also knew God's word. And you remember what he said each time? No, it is written. He referred back to God's word, the foundation of his argument. He referred back to God's word. No, I can't do that because the Bible says that you are to worship only God. I'm not going to worship you. Yeah, it's appealing to my flesh. It looks good, but I'm not living for this life. The flesh is connected to this world. I'm not living for this world. I'm living for something that's far better. I'm not living to please myself. I'm living to please God. So David had found hope in God's word. But interestingly, number four, it was this hope that led to the obedience it was the hope that led to David's obedience. and I think we'll find that to be true for us if we have true hope in the Word of God to where it makes an impact on our lives, to where we want to engage the Word of God, to where we make it a priority in our lives, that we will find a reason for obedience because we're learning what God tells us to do. Verse 44 and 45, David says, I will keep your law continually forever and ever. And I shall walk in a wide place for I have sought your precepts. I will walk obediently because I have found joy in your word. You have given me the ability to walk in a wide place. I really love the way this is laid out. Because what David is saying, everybody's telling me if I live according to your law, it's very restrictive. And I'm not going to be able to do a lot of things, a lot of things that I'm just going to be excluded from. But what David is saying, I have, I have worked at this, I've lived it, I've engaged your word, I've made it a priority for my life. And what I've found is that it's freeing. There's where my freedom is. There's where I've found a reason not to be bound to this world, not to be connected through difficulties and problems, things that look appealing and yet are only going to bring destruction. I've been to that place of destruction and I don't want to go back. I've found freedom in your word. 
I have sought your precepts. Let me move quickly to the last thing. Let me ask you to do this. Don't put your notes away when we give you this final thought. Because there's a couple of things that, as I think about it, I'm going to ask you to write down under point number five. The obedience that David found as a result of the hope gave him, number five, the testimony. Testimony. As I was studying for this passage to present this to you, the part that caught my attention and, and was the most interesting to me is this part. Because David had an incredible testimony to share, didn't he? I mean, you just think about this guy. He fought a lion and a bear as a teenage kid, a young teenage kid. He fought a giant. He went to battle with an experienced warrior who was at least two times his size. The warrior came attacking him with his spear. And David, instead of running and hiding, took off after him. That's amazing to me. David could have easily told about how Saul chased him with his army through the wilderness. That Saul intended to kill David. He wasn't able. David could have told about the time he was face down in the dirt. And how he raised himself back up and he took off again. That in itself is a pretty amazing story. But notice what David says. Verses 46 through 48. And I want to call your attention specifically to one word. David said, I will also speak of your testimonies. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame. For I find delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love. And I will meditate on your statutes. David could have easily stood before the kings and said, look at, look at what I've done. Look at what's happened to me in life. But in fact, what we find David saying is, I don't really want to put the spotlight on me. I don't really want you to look at me because what I've done is nothing. The very best things that I can accomplish on my own are like filthy rags before God. And so I don't really want you to look at me and hold me in high regard. What I really want to do is point you to the Almighty God. Now he may have told the exact same stories. He may have told how God delivered him from the lion and the bear. How God delivered him from a giant of a man. He may have told how, how God spared his life when he had sinned against him. How he infused him with life from the word of God. He may have told how he fled from King Saul and the army of Israel. When they intended to find him, they were going to hunt him down and kill him. He may have told all of those stories, but the difference was the impact point. And that not being himself, but that this is a testimony of the goodness of God. I really found that amazing. I don't know why. I mean, actually it ought to be the everyday for us. It ought to be what we do all the time. And yet just to see this coming from the mouth of David. 
God, I want to share your story. I want to tell people about your story. I want to tell people of what you've done because in what you've done, in what you've told me in your word is life. I can tell people about what I've done and I can give some interesting stories. But it will never change their life. Or I can tell people what God has done. I can share the incredible kindness and mercy of a loving God. I can tell people how, yes, I went through difficulties. Yes, I had some hardships. But in every bit of that, God was by my side. In every bit of that, I felt the presence of God. In every bit of that, I felt the strength of God. In those times when I had no ability to stand, when my sin had brought me to a very bad place, I felt the hand of God lifting me up. And that's a story that will make an eternal difference in someone's life. When I take the focus off of me, a meaningless, insignificant person in the grand scheme of things, and I point people to Jesus Christ. So what do we do with this information? You know, it is my hope, my prayer, that for a lot of us, we just search our lives out. To determine, well, am I living according to the will of God or have I strayed away from Him? The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man. It looks pleasing. It looks joyous. It looks like there's going to be a lot of pleasure and fun found there. But it goes on to say, but the end of that road is death and destruction. And so it is my prayer that through this information today, we come to the place to where we just stop and say, well, how am I really living? Am I following hard after God or have I strayed away from Him? And if we find that we've strayed from God, that we now take this time in just a moment to confess before God, God, man, I've blown it. Blown it. For others, that maybe you've come to understand that obedience equates to testimony. The, the stronger my obedience to God, the stronger my testimony will be before men. Jesus said, they'll see your good works and they'll glorify your Father which is in heaven. They'll see your good works and they'll know that you're my disciple. So my obedience to God, my obedience to His Word equates to a stronger testimony to share. And what we're going to do with this information is we're going to say, no, I'm not perfect, but what I want to do is live in obedience so that in turn my testimony will be strong when I share what God has done for me. For others, maybe it's just time that you take this information and you say, you know what, I haven't been sharing what God's done. 
We can talk about a lot of things and we have no problem with it. But there's something difficult about talking about God. Maybe we're afraid of the reaction of people. Maybe we're not really sure of what we should say or not say. But maybe today you've come to realize that being a child of God means that we're proud of our Father. Being proud of our Father means that we tell people about Him. And so you just stop today and say, God, I'm sorry. Yeah, I haven't told people about you. I've got the greatest thing in the world to talk about, and I've kept it to myself. Give me that courage. Give me that confidence. And then finally, maybe there's people here who would say, you know what, through this information, I, I see that I need that relationship with God. I really want that freedom that comes through His Word and comes through living in obedience to Him. And so today, when we begin the invitation, the way you would respond to this message is that you would just come and say, you know what, I, I want that relationship. I don't really know how to go about it. Maybe you do. But you just say, you know, I want to know how to be in a relationship. How to be in this journey with God. How to walk with God. I want to know that. And allow us the great privilege of showing you how. So the question is now. What will you do with this information? Would you respond to what God's asking you to do?